0: Well, good morning. Welcome to our weekly Bible Talk. We have come to the second of the last plague. You of what we talked about last week, there's an awful lot of Scripture in the book of Exodus devoted to the plagues, and that's a reminder to us that God's wrath is a pretty important part of His character. It's obviously not the only part of His character. He's very much a multifaceted being, but uh, included in who He is is wrath, and there's a lot of that, uh, especially in the book of Exodus, but in the entirety of the uh, Bible. Uh, We've come to the plague of darkness. I'm going to talk about its significance and hopefully show you how it ties into the gospel and Jesus' cross. But before we get too far into it, let's pray together. Pray with me. Lord God in heaven, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, through it we're made wise unto salvation. We pray now for your Holy Spirit's help. Illuminate us, convict us, lead us to repentance. Help me, Lord, to make comments that bring out the true meaning and intent of this passage and Uh, as always, give us grace that we might embrace it with faith and apply it to our lives. Help us to see, especially the way in which this plague ties into Jesus and his work of redemption through his death and resurrection. In his name we pray. Amen. Now, I won't reiterate a lot about the plagues. I know we've talked about these the last several weeks, but just a couple of things to keep in mind. Um, First, they are designed to provoke Pharaoh's repentance. I know that there is this kind of odd dynamic where God hardens his heart, um, and and that's definitely going on. I mean, we've come across that many times, and we'll come across it again today in the passage that we're looking at. Um, But at the end of the day, the Intent behind you know, what God is doing here, He's trying to break Pharaoh's will and lead him to repentance. Don't forget that. These are not just like God torturing Pharaoh or anything like that. Um, I mean, in a way, they're miserable. I'm not saying that they're pleasant, um, but it's not just sort of arbitrary torture. It's designed to humble him so that he'll eventually let the people of Israel go. In addition to that, They're also evangelistic. Uh, They're evangelistic in the sense that God wants to save some of these Jews that don't yet know Him and don't think that again the Jews in Egypt all knew the Lord. Uh, By and large they did not know the Lord. Um, But through these experiences they're coming to learn that Jehovah, He is the one and true God. Uh, Along those lines, we also believe that God's using these plagues to bring Egyptians to saving faith. Um, Again, you see that all throughout the plagues, that God is doing this so that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So uh, even though God has this special love for the nation of Israel and uses Israel in his plan in a unique way, God does have a love for all the nations on the planet, and that points us forward to Jesus, the Savior came, died, and rose again to save a people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And what happens when the people of Israel finally leave Egypt? uh, It's not only the Israelites that leave, it says they went out with a mixed multitude. Evidently other people groups went with them voluntarily because they believed that Jehovah was the true and living God. Um, The other thing I was going to say about the plagues is that Essentially, virtually all of them, if not all of them, are directed toward the different gods of Egypt. We've talked about this several times, so again, I won't belabor it. Um, but you'll remember if you if you know anything about ancient uh, Egypt, and you know you may have picked this up from going to museums or watching TV shows. I remember as a kid there was this um, Sesame Street special uh, where Big Bird ran into the uh, somehow he got you know went back in time and ran into this. Pharaoh's son and they, uh, the Pharaoh's son was going to die and they were going to weigh his heart against, you know, there was a feather in his heart and which was lighter, that would determine whether or not Pharaoh's son uh, got into paradise. You may have seen this uh, Sesame Street movie a long, long time ago. Um, but you, you'll, through that you learn about how the Egyptians thought and some of their culture and what not. And obviously they had this great big pantheon of gods. Uh, they worshipped a cow god. They worshipped a god with the head of a frog. They worshipped a god with the head of a falcon. Uh, there was Osiris, which is you know probably the most famous of the ancient Egyptian gods. But they had all this great big pantheon of gods, uh, one of whom was Pharaoh, and we're going to talk about him more next week. But through these ten plagues, God is knocking down... The the true God is knocking down their gods and showing them that they're dead idols. Uh, The Lord made the heavens and the earth. The Lord is the only true God, and all the gods of Egypt are dead idols. And keep in mind that that is what God is doing in our lives through bringing adversity and trials into our lives. One of the reasons why God brings adversity and trials into our lives is to show us that dead idols can do nothing. Uh, You know, again, I, I, I feel like I've said all of these things before, so I don't want to talk about them too much, and yet they are relevant to our passage here. All of us, even as Christians, are tempted to worship idols. Um, We're still in the flesh until we see Jesus, until he comes again or until we die. We're still in the flesh. And because of that, there's this uh, battle between the flesh and the spirit. And one of the things that the flesh wants to do is to worship the created thing rather than the creator, to turn to money, power, reputation, pleasure, whatever, as the source of my fulfillment, uh, seeking from it what only God can provide. And God will, because he loves us, bring adversity into our life to teach us money can't satisfy, pleasure can't satisfy, alcohol can't satisfy, whatever the case might be. uh, These idols, I'm going to prove to you uh, before long that they are dead and worthless. And again, he does that because he loves loves us. Thank God for that. Well, let me read the plague of darkness. It's one of the shorter plagues. I'll read the the thing in its entirety, and then we'll go back and make some comments on it. Let's begin in verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the heavens, that there may be a darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord, your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock must also go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind. for We must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. Now, there's actually a surprising amount here. This is one of my favorite plagues um, because it's so uh, sort of vivid to imagine. Uh, you'll see you know, pretty, pretty obviously it's the plague of darkness, but it's a darkness that can be felt. Now, what does that mean? Uh, we're not entirely sure, but sort of a good theory is that it's like pitch black darkness combined with this thick, creepy fog, uh, which kind of makes sense. Um, and it was so thorough, so overwhelming uh, that, that you couldn't see anything to the point that you didn't actually go anywhere this raises a lot of questions you know because why couldn't they just like light a candle or light a fire or something like that to see around you know when it's dark um you know even if we didn't have electricity you could light candles in here and see fine uh so uh, we don't really know uh clearly god's doing a miracle here keep that in mind the plagues are not sort of natural phenomenon uh this is not like a solar eclipse or something like that uh this is clearly something miraculous and god with his miraculous power, does this darkness that's so thick and so thoroughgoing and exhaustive that it can be felt. You couldn't light a candle to see through it. You couldn't uh, light a fire. I mean, you you just had to sit there in pitch black darkness for three days. Now this raises the whole theme of darkness in Scripture, which is a pretty fascinating thing to think about. Uh, Darkness in Scripture, uh, there's literal darkness and spiritual darkness, but they are connected. Um, you know obviously you've got in the beginning of the Bible God creates the heavens and the earth and there's darkness over the face of the deep and whatnot uh, we don't necessarily think that was sinful because sin we don't think sin has entered creation yet so here you know just ordinary literal darkness is not always connected to sin you know if tonight you know unless Jesus comes again tonight it's going to get dark and the sun's going to go down and you're probably going to go into your bedroom and turn the lights off and it's going to be dark and there's, you know don't think about that, so there 's this literal darkness, but then there 's spiritual darkness, and throughout scripture, Satan is connected with darkness, sin is connected with darkness uh, you know the, the Bible calls Satan the prince of darkness, it calls the demons the kingdom of darkness. Um, you know sin is called the works of darkness i mean dark there is this clear connection between uh, spiritual darkness and and evil, and I think we kind of know this deep down it 's almost like a a weird thing i mean even in our culture that's rejected christianity and we're full of biblical illiteracy there's still this sort of you know real realization that dark ...connected with evil. Um, and, and we talk from time to time, you know, if somebody's going through a time of depression, they often describe it as a time of darkness. Um, you know, sometimes you can even see it on people's faces. There's something about it that, that they look, you know, like, like a darkened countenance or something like that. I think this is part of why we're naturally scared of the dark. I mean, when you were a little kid, were you scared of the dark? I was and sometimes i still am you know if i'm out in the middle of the forest in the middle of the night and it's pitch black and i can't like see a tree that i i might walk into that's a little bit scary um now obviously there's you know multiple reasons for that it's not just because it's connected with evil i don't want to walk into a tree or something like that but i do think that there's more going on there than just that there is something kind of intrinsically creepy and weird about about darkness and I think that this is part of just sort of imprinted on our souls that we know uh, light and, you know, that is good. Darkness, there, there's something not right about that. Um, but anyway, coming back to our passage here, you'll notice this darkness is so thorough that they were basically like in solitary confinement for three days. And that would have been terrifying. I mean, again, I've been in pitch darkness for like a few seconds and it's, it's pretty scary. Imagine three full days. This would have been absolutely terrifying. Uh, so realize these plagues are not just, you know, physically painful. There's also sort of like a psychological pain that they're going through uh, because they don't know, you know, how, how is this going to pan out? Uh, you know, is, is this going to last forever? I mean, it's, it's really, really uh, rather terrifying. Now, real quick, a comment there on the, on the three days. Um, it says in verse 22, there was pitch darkness in all the land for three days. Now, this is just something to notice when you do your Bible reading. Throughout the Bible, there is this emphasis that uh, on the third day, God's going to do something special. You know, just keep this in mind. This comes up again and again and again in the weirdest places. Uh, you know, y'all you, you know that. Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. There are plenty of other occasions that this is going to happen, but then on the third day something unique is going to happen. Uh, that's establishing a pattern uh, for later on in the Bible, because on the third day, what takes place in you know after Jesus' death on the cross, obviously, is resurrection. Now, I don't think this is talking about you know this this verse here is not like a prophecy of the resurrection, but it is establishing a pattern that God often does something unique on the third day. And something interesting to notice. If you look at verse 22, uh, no, where did it go? Verse 23. Uh, no one, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. So they didn't rise for three days, implying that what happened after three days, they did rise. Now is that maybe reading a little bit too much into it? Possibly, but at the same time, I do think that God is establishing patterns here that are fulfilled in later scripture. On the third day, uh, Jesus is going to rise. Anyway, let's keep going. Uh, in verse 24, Pharaoh called Moses and said, "Go serve the Lord. You are little ones; they also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind." Now, this ties into last week. We talked last week about the way in which negotiated obedience is disobedience. You see, Pharaoh still trying to do that here. He so loves his uh, Israelite slaves; he so does not. Want to let them go? That he needs to keep sort of like uh, like a down payment or something like that. What, what's that idea when uh, you know maybe you forgot your uh, credit card and you know you go out to a restaurant and you give him like your watch and you're like, let me go home get my credit card and I'll come back and I'll pay for my meal and you know you can keep my watch. I can't remember right now the idea what that is, um, but that's what Pharaoh wants to do. He wants to keep some part of the Israelites in Egypt so that they have to come back so that they can't head on to the promised land. Uh, a chapter earlier, I think it was. It's like, you know, the men can go, but the women and children got to stay. And Moses is like, no, God doesn't negotiate like that. Here he's like, okay, everybody can go, but you got to leave your flocks and herds. Again, they, they can't do that. God does not negotiate uh, with humans as far as obedience. Uh, our government used to have this policy that they don't negotiate with terrorists. Remember that? Um, and that's sort of what God does here. He doesn't negotiate with humans. Uh, he's the Lord. He tells us what to do. And whenever we get in this sort of like uh, attempt at a compromised obedience, uh, that right there tells you we're not recognizing God's rightful position as Lord. Because if you recognize His rightful position as Lord, you'll say, not my will but yours be done. You'll say, here I am, Lord, send me. But whenever you get in these like negotiating uh, tactics, uh, Lord, if you do this, I'll do this. If you give me a beautiful wife, then I'll um, you know go to church. And if you do anything like that, again, that indicates that you don't really believe that the Lord, He is God. Now, a question that a lot of people have is, uh, how did Moses get there if the darkness was so thick and thorough? Um, we don't really know. You know, Again, imagine the whole scene. You've got Egypt, which is a fairly large country. You know, If you remember your picture of Africa, they're kind of right there in the corner. The entire land covered in this thick, impenetrable darkness that you know, is so bad people can't even leave where they're sitting. But somehow Moses is able to make his way there. Now one theory is that there's this kind of shaft of light that follows Moses through Egypt Again, that's a little bit of speculation, but it does sort of make sense because Moses has got to see uh, to get there. And then once he gets there, uh, he and Pharaoh have a conversation. So, you know, that's, that, that theory makes the best sense to me that somehow God has this like beam of light shining down on Moses, enabling him to get there. Again, sort of reminding us of these themes of darkness and light. Um, what else might we say? Uh, There was that attempt at negotiated obedience. Uh, Finally, he says, all right, go serve the Lord, but verse 27, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. We've talked about that an awful lot. And again, I know that from time to time people are newer to these Bible talks. It's possible that you're just tuning in recently and you haven't heard me talk on the hardening of Pharaoh's heart before. What I think this is—it's not God like putting evil into Pharaoh's heart that wasn't there in the first place. It's God peeling back the restraining grace to enable Pharaoh to do what he wanted to do all along. It's just sort of like uh, letting go of the leash. You know, say you've got this wild dog that went, you know—is going crazy, barking and whatnot. If you let go of that leash, that dog then goes and does what the dog wants to do. It's not like I'm making the dog do anything, and that's what the Lord does in hardening Pharaoh's heart. It's not like He's pouring evil in; it's Him pulling back the restraining grace, enabling Pharaoh to do. What he wanted to do all along. Now if you'd like to explore that theme more, I recommend again a, a sermon I preached probably a good maybe 10 years ago, I don't know, called The Hardening of Pharaoh's Heart. So look that up. I went into great detail for like 45 minutes on this idea. I realize it does bother bother a lot of people, but we really can't get around it. The, the Bible says many, many times that the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. So if you're interested in what, in what that's all about, you might check out that sermon. Verse 28, then Pharaoh said to him, "Get away from me! Take care to never, see, never see my face again. For in the day that you see my face, you shall die." Now, do you catch the irony there? Uh, there's this emphasis on seeing, and yet Pharaoh is like in pitch darkness. Uh, so was he even seeing Moses so that he could say this? We don't really know. Again, we don't know all that's going on. Was there the beam of light and could maybe Pharaoh see into the beam of light? We don't, we don't, we don't know. Um, but I do think it's interesting that for whatever reason, this terminology is used during the plague when nobody could see at all. Now, you're not going to see me again until, the, you know, until uh, the day one of us dies. And that does sort of, it's sort of an accidental prophecy because uh, we'll get to this next week, Lord willing, uh, what takes place in the final plague. Um, you know, it's kind of like when Caiaphas, the high priest, accidentally prophesied about Jesus dying for the sins of the people. Uh, it's sort of like Pharaoh speaking better than he realizes. Uh, you know, if, we see her, if you see my face, you're gonna, you know, somebody's going to die, and um, I think you all kind of know what I'm alluding to. Uh, the last thing I want to say, and kind of wrapping this up, the darkness theme here, it does tie into Jesus' death. Uh, like we've established, darkness is sort of a sign of um, you know evil, the powers of darkness. It's also connecting you know, clearly here it's an expression of God's wrath. Can you think of other instances in Scripture where darkness plays a significant role? There's actually a lot of these, the more that you think about it. Um, but one of the foremost ones is when Jesus is hanging on the cross. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, do you remember what time it was? It was like midday. If I remember my calculations right, it's like, you know, basically noon when Jesus is hanging on the cross. And yet the Gospels are crystal clear that there was darkness covering the entire face of the land at that time. Uh, you know, and, and again, it, it couldn't have been a solar eclipse or something like that for other reasons I won't go into. Uh, basically Passover corresponds with the lunar calendar and because of that it couldn't have been an eclipse, which is, uh, you hear that sometimes from uh, skeptics that it was just a, a, a solar eclipse. But no, that darkness connects back to this instance of darkness because what's going on on the cross, Jesus is experiencing the wrath of God uh, in our place for our sins. You know, that's why Jesus died. You know what? Uh, so many people understand that Jesus died on the cross, but they don't understand why Jesus died on the cross. And the difference between that Jesus died on the cross and why Jesus died on the cross is the difference between saving faith and, non- and not having saving faith. Uh, You know, you can even talk to secular historians. They're like, yes, Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter, the first century rabbi, was crucified on the cross. Uh, Realize that that's good and accurate, but that is not saving faith. Saving faith sees the cross as a substitutionary atonement. It sees it as the place where the wrath of God is poured out on Jesus in my place. You know, again, like we've talked about in these Bible talks, I deserve the wrath of God for my sins. Uh, for all of my sins. And let's just use me for an example. I mean, I'm kind of talking on behalf of everybody, but let's just use me for an example. Uh, I'm 45. Uh, let's say I've sinned, what, twice an hour uh, every day for all of my life? We're talking thousands of sins. Pile on top of that the guilt I have in Adam, the fact that I'm born a sinner. Uh, pile on top of that all sorts of other, you know, and there are certain sins that are like multiple sins combined. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're just like a real jerk to your Brothers, which sadly I was back in high school, there can be like multiple sins all combined in one act of sin. So I've got a huge, huge guilt problem uh, in God's sight if i don't have a savior uh you know and i because of my sins deserve all of these plagues compounded together into one forever because of my sins that's how bad our sins are never look at sins as just like uh, human frailties as you know mistakes that people make uh they're acts of rebellion against god we're shaking our fists in god's face and saying no god i'm not going to live your way i'm going to live my way no god you don't know what's best i know what's best and i'm going to live according to my rules not your rules We've all done that, and thousands of times. And therefore, if you look at this passage, we're far more like Pharaoh than we are like Moses. Uh, now, now, some of us, you know, many many of us, we become saved and changed and whatnot, and we go on to serve God, and that's wonderful. But by nature, we really are more like Pharaoh, and we deserve all of this wrath. But what what's taking place in the Christian gospel is that that very same wrath that I deserve for all these forty five years of sin, and even in the future—that's another thing I should uh, mention—the sins I'm yet to to commit, which is a sad thing. I wish I wasn't you know I wish I wasn't going to commit sins ever again. But in reality, I'm going to commit sins this afternoon and tomorrow and you know every day until Jesus comes again. But take all of that wrath judgment that I deserve—it's poured out on Jesus. And one of the markers of that is the fact that the Father turned uh, the earth. Dark during that time while he hung on the cross. And there's the sun, but it says Jesus suffered during those three hours of darkness more than any sinner ever will in hell, which is a fascinating thing to think about, but I think it's true. Uh, during those hours of darkness, hanging there, forsaken by his father, becoming an object of wrath, uh, he is experiencing more suffering there than any sinner ever will in hell. Why is that? Because sinners in hell will suffer. Forever and never finished paying the debt. But in those hours there on the cross, however, you know, if there were six or three or whatever, uh, Jesus fully paid for the sins of all of those who would ever uh, trust in him from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. So as you read this Plague of Darkness, allow it to connect your mind to the cross where Jesus absorbed God's wrath, but also remind yourself that after three days, something miraculous happened there as well. Jesus rose again from the dead, and thank God that that's uh, just as important to the story as Jesus' death. Well, how can we uh, pray this passage back to God? Uh, Let's just focus today on the way in which uh, Jesus, through his death, conquers the power of darkness. Uh, He absorbs our sins on the cross, he's punished by the Father, but in so doing, he defeats the powers of darkness so that we don't need to fear the powers of darkness. Uh, That's one of the beautiful things that we have in the gospel. Uh, Yes, Satan is a roaring lion prowling around seeking whom he may devour. Yes, the world is filled with demons and demonic temptations, and yet uh, Jesus saves his people, and protects them from Satan, the evil one. And because he died, we are analogous uh, to the Israelites dwelling in that land of light. This entire world is a land of darkness, but we're like the people of Israel with that light shining down on them. But again, that's not because of our righteousness or our good works, but it's only because Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has conquered the powers of darkness on our behalf. Uh, So why don't we praise God for that now? Let's pray. Oh God, it's good to discuss your word. It's enjoyable, it's edifying, it's um, exciting. So thank you for the opportunity we've had here together to talk about this plague of darkness. Lord, we do see in this uh, indicators of the way in which this is an evil world and um, that Satan is the god of this world and this world is the kingdom of darkness. And yet we thank you that Jesus through his death and resurrection has conquered the powers of darkness. He's crushed the serpent, He absorbed your wrath on the cross. He was raised again victorious. And because of that, those of us who believe never need fear Satan, the evil one. Lord, help those of us who are believers to resist the devil so that he might flee from us. Help us, O Lord, to take up the shield of faith and to extinguish his flaming darts. Help us, Lord, to walk in the light in this very dark world and use us, we pray, to spread the light uh, that more and more people would come to saving faith and embrace Jesus, the King of light. For any that are listening, watching now, that don't yet know you, who are still lost in darkness, work in their hearts, draw them to yourself, open their eyes that they might see and embrace Jesus and be saved. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great day.